Good to be up here with you this wonderful, cool Father's Day morning. Are we working? Are we not working? Thumbs up, thumbs down. We're good? You can hear me? Sort of? Maybe? Yeah? Awesome. All right. It's good to be with you. Hopefully a little break from the heat. You're enjoying it. Um, I know Evie, she was like, I want to wear a Christmas dress today because it was that cold. And so... <laughs> She put on leggings and everything, and so she's all ready for Christmas once again. Um, but uh, yeah, so she dressed herself, and it, you can tell that I did her hair, and we're just happy that it's up. And so, um, and she's like, "Who's gonna do my hair, Dad?" And I was like, "I will." She's like, "Are you sure?" And so, <laughs> I was like, she's like, "You don't have any hair." I'm like, "I know, but a long time ago, I used to have hair, and it was pretty long too at one point." And she's like, "What?" And so. I'm not going to go into the dialogue anymore, but um, we're going to talk about uh, John this morning, and we're going to head back into uh, John chapter 4 and look at this section where Jesus interacts with this woman at the well. Uh, And last week, we looked at John 2 and the temple scene and how the wedding and temple, uh, there's a scene that goes hand in hand. Uh, There's this change happening, and Jesus comes in, and he enters our lives, and it's a wedding scene. It's amazing. It's a celebration. And then we see in the temple that he comes to do, uh, sounds like I'm drumming up here. And so, uh, anyways, we see that he then comes in into like the temple scene, and he wants to do work within our hearts and our lives. Uh, the temple, right, being a picture of our life, and Jesus wanting to do work within that, uh, because Jesus, he cares about our spirit. And this is, we're kind of going all over the place in John. You're like, we're not really moving congruently through it. Uh, it's because we're picking up themes in John, and we're working through a handful of themes, and so we're working through a bunch of different scriptures through that. And so the theme that we're working through is one of our spirit and how Christ cares for our spirit, uh, and he cares for the people who, who he created. And we see in the temple that he wants to overthrow those things that shouldn't be there within our hearts and our lives. And there's some of those things, though, that shouldn't be there we treat, as I mentioned last week, as business as usual. Hopefully that stuck with you um, as we talked about that last week. Now, in this section, we see something similar. Uh, Jesus comes in and he cares about our spiritual lives, and he touches on something, this woman's life at the well, that uh, shouldn't be there, and says, I have something actually better for you. And now, I've talked uh, many times about my uh, hikes of death, if you haven't been here or have heard about these. Uh, Phil, our lead pastor, he likes to go on these summer solstice hikes, and so the first day of summer, longest day of the year, he wants to go on the longest hike of the year, because He's just a little bit nuts. And so um, we go on these 50-kilometer hikes in one day. Uh, And so in these hikes, you begin to kind of question life a little bit. Uh, You begin to question your friend choices. Um, You ask yourself, hey, what's the way that maybe I can hurt Phil and it looks like an accident? And so I'm just confession time. Um, And so I've done these hikes now twice with Phil. Uh, and so now the question is, am I that smart? I guess not. And so after, after that first one. But during each hike that I went with Phil, we came to two spots where we needed water. Uh, two years ago, we went on this hike, uh, the last one. Water was low. Curtis Tolman, he was on the verge of death. He ran out of water. Jo- Jordan and I were writing up his final will and testament. So we're saying, like, anything you want to say to Leslie, you know, so that we can let her know. And this was just before the heat dome, too. Like, and so it was already hot, and then the heat dome came and just made it right un- unbearably hot. 
And so we came across a body of water uh, that had this nice green film on top of it. Um, and so, so we had to make a choice. And so is it this or we take the risk or, you know what, we just keep going and maybe die of thirst. Uh, I actually, patting myself on the back, I came very prepared. I had a lot of water. I was not sharing my water, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did share when I saw Curtis laying there. And so, um, but we had to ask ourselves the question, how much do we want to live, right? How are we willing to take the risk? And so we had these chlorine tablets and this little container of juice, uh, you know, for flavoring. And so one person would move the water and the film on top of the water, uh, and then somebody else would come in with the water bottle and take out the water. And so... It was not the cleanest. The water was a bit stagnant. Uh, I know this is gross. Uh, like, again, I'm a walking miracle. Uh, and so think of the water like drinking from a toddler's cup after they've ate food. And so that's kind of what it looked like a little bit. And so a little bit of imagery for you. Sorry if that's a little bit too gross, but um, that's what it was like. Then the first hike, though, Phil, Jordan, and myself, we went on. We came to a stream. This is my first time five years ago. Uh, and this stream was moving quickly. Uh, it was the runoff from the, you know, the mountain, and it felt like it was never going to run out this stream. Uh, and we needed to fill our water bottles, and the water felt, you know, it felt alive because it was moving and the sound that it was bringing. Uh, and you know, when water is moving like that, it keeps it clean and, and whatnot. And so uh, we, we filled our water bottles. And I remember being the one in the stream, uh, you know, because initiation was my first hike and first handful of months here. And I'm feeling everybody has water bottles, and I'm looking directly at this frog in the middle of the water. And all the questions start to run through my mind. Is this frog peeing right now? And so then I just moved the water bottle over just a little bit to the right. And so, uh, but the water, as I knew, was clean. It was cool. It was refreshing. It was safe. It was so clear. It was amazing. Uh, and so we put a tablet in it just in case, but it wasn't really needed. And so just to update, no more hikes to death planned for this year. Um, Phil is actually gone, and he's going to England, and he's doing a walk across England for two weeks. Uh, so he's downgraded to walking, but upgraded in challenge. And so uh, you can pray for him as he's doing that. Anyways, we get two pictures of water here that I just gave you. One that isn't so good and one that was good. Uh, and in this story, we get two sources of water that is being presented. And Jesus gives this lady a choice of what water is actually best. And so it's a play on words, but it's also, it's, it gives her this imagery to wrestle with. Now, let's look at this scripture together. Uh, it's not going to be a PowerPoint. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them. Uh, you can also open your phones, open the Bible app there, and check it out. And so uh, before I do that, let's pray, though. Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that... Um, Lord, we can come and we can hear your word and learn more about you, Jesus. Uh, we want to draw close to you, Lord. We want uh, to know what you are saying to us through the scripture, Lord. And we pray that our hearts are open to what you are doing in the midst of this, Father. So again, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we pray blessing as we dive into this. And that, Lord, everybody would glean something from this. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Now. John 4, 4-9 says this. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, I will 
Get, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. All right, here we go. Now the picture we get, see in the present passage, it has several things in that sense that are wrong with it. Uh, and they all matter. They all matter as we look into the beginning part here. They may not look odd to us, but we only understand the passage when we see how it would have looked to anyone at this time that it was written. Now, for start, Jesus was already known to be a holy man, um, leading a movement to bring Israel back to God. And John's readers know that he is actually more than that. But we must learn not to think with the mind. We must learn to think with the minds of the followers at that time. What they are presently gleaning as they meet Jesus at that time. So, in that culture, many devout Jewish men would not, have been, would not have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. If it was unavoidable uh, that they should be, they would certainly not have entered into a conversation with her. The risk they would have thought was too high. There's risk of impurity, risk of gossip, risk ultimately of being drawn into immorality. Uh, and yet Jesus is talking to this woman. And later in this chapter, uh, John shows how actually startled the disciples were that they, they come along to this well and they see that Jesus is talking to this woman. They're actually taken back by this. So this was not normal in their society, especially seeing a man alone with a woman talking to them uh, who wasn't their wife. Now, the second thing is, the woman is, of course, a Samaritan. Now, since some of the Jewish exiles had come back from Babylon uh, to find that the central section of their ancient territory was occupied by a group who claimed to be actually true descendants of Abraham, and these are the Samaritans. And these people opposed their return, and there has been constant trouble ever since between the Samaritans and the Jews. So the Samaritans are occupying the Holy Land, their land, and most Jews thought of the Samaritan as second-class citizens, racially and religiously tainted. Uh, Samaritans were the descendants of the Jews in the northern kingdom of Israel uh, who had intermarried with Gentiles. So they were half-bloods. They were no longer pure. They weren't the pure Jewish people, and they didn't like that they had intermingled with the Gentiles. And so sometimes it had broken out into actual skirmishes between the Samaritans and the Jews. There was bloodshed. There was murder. But mostly it was simply a matter of just, we don't mix with them. We don't talk with them. They stay over there. We stay over here. And there was so much animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans that if you were trying to get to the northern part of Israel, rather than going through Samaria, Jews would walk around it. It would add it about six days to their journey. And they did it for two reasons, that you might not be killed going through it, and, you would feel, and that you would actually feel defiled after you went through it. That's how they thought. And I've mentioned this before, that the Samaritans and the Jews, you know what, they had this thing that they did back and forth, or the Samaritans would do to the Jews. You know what, the Jews, they'd be in their temple, they'd be worshiping, it's holy, it's consecrated, it's clean. And so actually, Samaritans would launch pigs into the temple through a catapult and flattened down into the temple. I know some people are smiling like, that's cool. Um, but, um, and so obviously for these th things, it was really, the Jews didn't like it because it made it unclean. Pigs, pork, it was an unclean meat to them. And so, but the Samaritans, this is what they did. It's like college. And so the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. 
They would especially not share eating or drinking vessels with them. All right, cooties galore, all right? This is like pre-K students, like boys and girls, this is not what you do. You don't mix cooties. And so, and yet Jesus is asking this woman for a drink. He's asking this woman for a drink. Now, third, compounding both of these problems, the woman is obviously of bad character. The normal time for women to visit the well, it's said as it was some distance from the town the well was, would be at a cooler time of the day, most likely first thing in the morning or maybe a little bit later in the afternoon. And this woman has come at the time when she is least likely to meet anyone, right? In midday, right? The hottest part of the day. At least anyone who maybe even knows her. And her past and her immoral lifestyle, she wants to hide it. And the last thing she would want, uh, would want would be to rub shoulders with another woman from town. And they would feel, you know, the same about her. They didn't want to rub shoulders with her either. And Jesus will presently show that he knows all about this. And yet he engages her in conversation, conversation with this teasing, with this double meeting flavor to it. And Jesus crosses all these boundaries in this conversation. He is a man, he is a Jew, he is a rabbi, yet he talks to a Samaritan woman who is steeped in sin. And the woman, she recognizes this. Now, that's the backdrop of what is happening in this conversation. Let's look at this a little bit more. John 4, 10, 15 says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, here is where Jesus begins to ask questions and give answers that have this deeper meaning. First, Jesus drew the woman into conversation. He's drawing her in, making her curious about several things. He's making her curious about the things of God because he says, if you knew the gift of God, so he's drawing her into curiosity, hey, about God, if you know the things of God, he's making her curious about who Jesus is, who it is who says to you, he's actually drawing her to him. He's like, if you want to be a little bit curious about what I say, and he's making her curious about what he actually could give her because he said he would have given you this living water. And here we are presented now with the topic of water. Now, not a debate if Aquafina or Kirtland water is better. The conversation has changed here, though. The multiple meetings are, as we shall see, typical of the type of conversations that we see all throughout John. Again and again in this gospel, Jesus talks to people who, who actually misunderstand what he says. Because he is talking at this heavenly level, and they are listening at this earthly level. But because the one God created both heaven and earth, and because the point of Jesus' work is to precisely bring life of heaven and earth together, he wants them to combine and collide, the misunderstandings in that sense, they're natural. They're going to happen. Right? Jesus asking for a drink tells the woman that she should have asked him for one. She is, of course, bound to think he means in the ordinary sense. He's like, well, you know what? This man, I'm supposed to give him a drink of water that it, he doesn't want a cup of water 
is found in the phrase, this living water. And that's the regular phrase people use in Jesus' world for what we actually call running water. Water in a stream, as I'm painting that story at the beginning, rather than a pool or a well, water that I thought would never run out, water that was so fresh, that was life-giving, that was so pure, that was clean, that wasn't standing, that wasn't stagnant. And here the double meaning kicks into operation because, of course, Jesus isn't referring to this physical water, whether still or moving. He is referring to this new life that he is offering to anyone. And at this conversation shows anyone at all, no matter what their gender, no matter what their geography, no matter what their racial or moral background is, he wants to offer you something, this life. And he made this play on words, this living water, because he meant the spiritual water that quenches spiritual thirst, that actually gives you life. Jeremiah 12, 13, and 17, 13, they... They, they bring this idea of this Savior as the one who brings living water. It says, in the Old Testament, living water is sometimes associated with Jehovah. He is called the fountain of living waters. And so this woman is interested, actually, in the physical water that Jesus has to offer. He's is interested in what the physical cup of water that he's going to give her. She's like, yeah, if you got me some water, that would make my life easy so I don't need to keep coming to this well every day that's maybe closer to my house, then yes, I will take it. Show me this secret spring that you have. I will definitely drink from it. But she doesn't totally get it yet. And here the story continues. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. She's like, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, right at the beginning, as my kids would say, Jesus came in with, he came in hot. He came in with the truth bomb. He came in with that, oh, snap moment. Uh, If there was a crowd around Jesus, they would have all collectively said, oh, Jesus knows that this woman has five husbands. And actually, somebody else on the side. Now, in typical, this is awkward fashion, she deflects the question. It's like when Kim asks me if I've taken out the garbage, and I usually come back talking about how gorgeous she is. Or when she asks me if I got the kids calmed down and in bed, which I'm not very good at, I ask her if she wants to buy those shoes that she keeps talking about. Or if I've finished the bathroom yet, I ask her if she wants another kid. And so (laughs) these are all skills I learned in marriage counseling. Just kidding. (laughs) This woman recognizes this guy, Jesus, is a prophet. Then she asks a hot theology question. I was brought up to think that this mountain here in Samaria was God's holy mountain, but you Jews think yours is the right one. What's the implication? Well, we can't both be right. Let's talk about it. 
Since you are a prophet, you should be able to tell me. You know what I love? Jesus isn't concerned about the answer. He probably knows, but he doesn't want to talk about that deep theology that she is bringing. He wants to talk about what you need. and He wants to offer you something that you're looking for. She doesn't want to go five marriages down to what's wrong inside of her. She'd rather fly around up in the intellectual with hard theological questions. And she wants to work in her mind. She doesn't want to work in her heart. She deflects. She's like, oh, yeah, you caught me there. Hey, but since you know this about me and I don't know you, you must be a prophet, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about actually something that's not going to be painful for me, but let's talk about something that maybe will get, help us maybe draw us apart from each other. Let's argue about where this mountain really is. This happens. I'm talking with somebody about Jesus, and it gets personal, and they start saying, well, what about women in this space? And like preaching and eldership, what about end times? What about your stance on prophecy? Hey, questions that we we'll talk about, but these are not the issues that we want to work through always right now. You're never going to get anywhere with Jesus until you let him come in and ask the important questions and do constant work on your heart. Where are you going in life? Why aren't you happy? Who is your Lord? And this is sometimes where we can find ourselves, or sometimes maybe we can find ourselves collectively and as a church. We would rather tackle intellectual issues and questions rather than personal questions. And Jesus actually wants to deal with the reason why you're so thirsty. He wants to deal with the reason why you're so thirsty. He wants to deal with the facts you are trying to quench your thirst in the wrong place. You see, this woman daily came to get water. She drank it but then woke up the next morning thirsty again, has to go back continually to get water. She's gone to the well of romance to satisfy the thirst of her soul. And it would satisfy her temporarily, but ultimately it still left her thirsty. So she got out of one marriage and then into another. This time she thought she'd found what she was looking for. And again, it worked out, but she'd wake up the next morning still feeling thirsty. So she turned to another and another, and then she gives up on the, actually the institution of marriage altogether, and she gets another person. What she does every day with the water pot, with the well, for her physical thirst, she's doing with men for the thirst of her soul. And it's common for people to try to satisfy their, their God-created inner thirst through many things or through anything except of what Jesus wants to give you. People are thirsty, they want, they long, they search, they reach, but only what Jesus gives satisfies to the deepest levels of man's spirit and soul. And so drinking and thirst are common pictures of God's supply and man's spiritual need that we always see through scripture. You see, Jesus is coming to the well because he cares about our spiritual life, he cares about our spirit, he cares about what we desperately need. He doesn't shy away from the interaction or the conversation or the implications that it might bring to her or to even him. He comes to offer her a choice. Do you want stale, stagnant water or living water that is moving and fresh? And listen, he shows up even though he knows everything that's happening in this woman's life. Jesus knows all there is to know about this woman. 
Jesus knew all of her secrets. He knew the things that caused her shame. He knew all the ways she felt alone. He knew her secrets, doubts, insecurities, her fears. He knew things about her that could have even gotten her killed. In those days, right, being caught in adultery in some places was punishable by death. She's being exposed with the possibility of she could even die. And so, of course, she wants to deflect the theology questions. Of course, she wants to know, hey, where do you think this mountain is? Because this is personal for her. This is deep for her. This is painful for her. This is an insecurity for her. This is something that she doesn't want maybe this person to unravel right now. But this encounter asks the question we all ask inwardly. What's it like to be completely exposed in all our secrets, in shame, in the presence of God? And the answer is this. It is safe. It's the safest place in the universe. He didn't expose her to embarrass her or to shame her or to judge her or expose. He exposed to save John said that's why Jesus came, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And what makes this scene even more personal and shows Christ's heart for this woman is where this scene takes place. Obviously, there's a question of water, but the scene takes place at Jacob's well. Jacob is actually a shared ancestor of this woman and of Jesus, so someone that they actually share relationship and ancestry with. And the wells are actually a site of betrothal, betrothal, however you pronounce that word. It's a, it's a wedding stuff in the Old Testament. It is where their shared father, Jacob, met Rachel for the first time in Genesis. God's people are often depicted as a bride in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so here we have the true bridegroom, Jesus, who is also God, meeting a woman of Samaria at the well, at a site historically where it meant relationship, where even that wedding sense was. And you wonder what Jesus would say if, to you if he met you. It wouldn't be words of condemnation or rejection, but acceptance, because Jesus didn't come in condemnation, but he comes to you at the wedding arches and says, I want you even though I know it all. Even though I know it all, he's like, this is the safest place to be. I choose to engage with you. I choose to have relationship with you. I love you. And actually, I have something for you. And I'm tired of you running away to something else that will bring you life when I have living water right here that you can take part of. And that's the offer he comes with, with living water. Something that is better than what you want to continue to run to. Something that will continue to bring you life and purpose and direction. Something that doesn't grow stale. Something that doesn't grow stagnant. So the questions we wrestle with today is where or what or whom do I run to in my life when I am thirsty? What is my choice? Am I going to well water or am I going to living water? And this is for everyone. This is for believers alike that where do you run to when you are most thirsty? Do you run to doing work? 
Do you run to the TV? Do you run to sports? Do you run to maybe avenues or vices that maybe draw you away from, further away from Jesus? Do you run to social media? Do you run to alcohol? What is it that you're running to when you are most thirsty, when there's something in your soul that is not being quenched, when you feel like you are empty, when you feel like you are dry, when you feel like you're looking for all the answers, where is it that you are running to? Because there is an offer standing right there of living water, because everything else is just well water. It's me and Curtis and Jordan trying to move the film off this water and to be like, hey, this is the best that I can do. And it might satisfy you right now, but it's not good enough. Because this is what the scripture is about. Jesus is most concerned about our spirit. And he is willing to come in a space, to a space where it's about entering a relationship, where it's about even when you feel that I cannot expose this to you, Jesus, he's like, hey, listen, I already know about it. But I want you to open up to me because, listen, I have something that will help you within the midst of this. My presence, my peace, my understanding, it's living water for you. Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we drink from the cup that Jesus gives, we'll never thirst again. The famous Psalm 23 talks about that the Lord, he is our shepherd, right? This is what we constantly, everybody knows this. It is a picture of Jesus caring for his people in Psalm 23. It's Jesus caring for his people. For the souls of those that he loves. And in verse 5, it says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Listen, my cup overfloweth now. Last, we saw Jesus wanting to come in this last week and do work in our hearts at the temple scene, right? He wants to interrupt the things that we constantly run to, the things that we constantly do, and he's flipping over tables. It's things that we say, this is just business as usual. This is just what I do, Jesus. But the Lord's like, no, this is a sacred space. This is where I want to dwell. Let me come in and draw close to you. And he's like, but I want you to want me to come and to be with you. This week, we see that Jesus wants us to name and work through the things that maybe we run to that don't quench our thirst. And there's something within us that we're like, hey, I know when this happens, I, I actually maybe move this way rather than moving to Jesus. And listen, we can see in this scripture that it's a safe space to be. Because he doesn't come with condemnation. He doesn't come saying, get better first, then come back to see me. He didn't say, hey, go divorce them all right now or you know, get rid of the side piece. He says, hey, I want to offer you me. And then we'll start to do the work. And then you'll start to see. Because you'll see what happens next when she accepts this living water, when she accepts Jesus. Something changes within her. And that's what we all want. We don't want, to, we don't want to be the ones that try to go change this and then go to Jesus. We want Jesus to come in to do the work because transformation starts. We were talking in our small group this past week about uh, there was a moment when someone was so 
encountered with the Holy Spirit, and it came, and it really quenched their thirst, really the deepest spots within their hearts. There was vulnerability happening at this moment, and Jesus came in, this living water, and just moved this person to tears and excitement, and also with laughter. And what happened was this. This person was transformed. This person wasn't the same. Living water had invaded and done things within this person's life. And so we, and then what happened was this person just wanted to tell people about Jesus. They said, I just couldn't help but not talk to people about Christ. That's transformation in the heart. And that's just vulnerability, accepting the living water, running to Jesus rather than running to something else. And the Samaritan woman, she is transformed. And living water starts to flow through her. And at that moment, she tells the village the Messiah is here. And she is the first person in the Gospel of John to share the message of Jesus. This Samaritan woman, steeped in sin, is the first one to go now to tell people about what Jesus has done. Because when we are filled with the cup of living water, we want everyone to experience the power of Jesus. We want everybody to experience the power of Christ. And Philippians shares this statement in uh, Philippians 2, 17 to 18. Worship team, you can come on up. And you can play it as I just softly as I close this here. Pick up my debris. Philippians 2, 17 to 18 says, But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an ongoing offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy is what it says. Listen, when we come and our thirst is quenched, and when he fills us up, something happens. We're transformed. There's a change within our life, and we are never the same as we once were. And then you know what we want to do? We want to do let that person experience that one day, and we want to pour it all out. And we want to tell people about this living water that came into my life and did this, and it quenched everything that I was looking for. And it continues to do that when I feel down, when I feel out, when I'm facing problems in my life. He's the one that I run to. And we pour that out, and we start to feel empty again, but we come back to the well of living water. And he continues to fill us. It's like my kids... They continue to come to me because they know that I can offer them things that would satisfy them. To me, I'm this picture for them of what Jesus is meant to be for us. And they go out and they tell, they tell about dad how awesome he is. This isn't just because it's Father's Day. And they come and they experience relationship with me again. We make memories and it's good and it's fun. Then they want to go be a dad because being a bad dad's the best. So this is how we experience life. We come, we experience Christ fills that thirst that we long for, and then we go tell people about him. Then we want to be more like him. We want to become like him, so we become his hands and feet. Why don't you stand with me? This scripture today is about hard work. It's about you taking the moment as we sing this last song and to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what is it that I'm running to? 
that is not actually you. So we all have something. Or what is it in my heart that I need to say, Jesus, I'm actually letting you come into this spot in my life right now. I need you to come to quench this thirst in my life right now. These are the things for you. I want as I every week leave you with these things to take home to work through this week because again this isn't just a I heard a great sermon I did a prayer it was spectacular and then we move on to Monday and then we forget about it we never want to live that way that's not how we are meant to live we are meant to live with the reality that Jesus is with us he wants to speak to us each and every day and that he has something for us he's constantly working on us as we're constantly here the work is never finished and so we what the enemy wants to do he wants us to forget But the Lord, he gently wants to remind us, hey, come to me. And so these are the three things. Again, right, we work with the head, we work with the heart, and we work with our hands. And so the cognitive this week, and if, sorry, it's not on PowerPoint, but if you want to write this down for you to dwell on this week, this is what you want, I want you to work through as each and every day this week, to be on your mind. Where am I running to? Ask the question, am I thirsty? Where am I running to? Am I thirsty? That's the head part. The cognitive part the effective part the heart part ask the spirit what is the well water in my life what is that stagnant water that you keep running to what is that thing that you know it's like it's my, it's my vice it's my thing that I keep going to it gives me momentary separation from what I'm actually going through but it actually doesn't speak life into what I'm going through. But then the hands part, right, is this cognitive part. The woman experienced living water. She experienced it that day. And then shared of the living water. Who you share of the living water with this week? And listen, this is the uncomfortable part. I get it. But we want to work not in the intellectual space, we want to work in the heart space. When these things are on our mind, the Lord will speak, the Lord will lead, He'll direct us. Now, as we sing this last song, again, and as I pray, I want you to ask the Lord as I pray, what is that thing that I keep running to? What is that thing that I keep running to? Then when we sing, let that thing down. Then create the space of knowing what you need to run to. Father, Lord, we come to you. Lord, you are living water. You are everything that we are thirsting for, that we are longing for, that we so desire. Lord, in our humanity, Lord, we sometimes run to well water. We sometimes forget who you've called us to be. We sometimes forget that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are your beloved. And Lord, that you constantly want us to run to you. Sometimes we forget that actually running to you is the safest place to be because we feel if we expose something, if we're open to it, you're gonna come with condemnation. You're gonna come with this hammer, Lord, but you come knowing everything and you still say, hey, I'm here for you. I offer you living water. I offer you it. And then you first offer us this opportunity to, to experience.
experience you to be totally engulfed by your presence. And then through that, Lord, we move and become new vessels of living water for you, Jesus. Lord, I want to stop running to that well water in my life. Lord, I want to say, Lord, have your way with this specific thing in my heart right now. Lord, identify it. I say, Lord, you work on it. Because that's where we want to be. Experience that fresh, vibrant, powerful, clear, cooling water of you.